All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with Caroline Pei, who is the Chief Creative Officer at Headspace, where she directs the company's dynamic award-winning creative team. Prior to joining Headspace, Caroline was the co-chief creative officer at Gray London. She served on the senior management team of the 400-person advertising agency and was the creative lead on accounts, including the LRS portfolio, the United Nations, and London's Metropolitan Police. During her tenure, she was also named one of Ad Age's Women to Watch Europe and was nominated as one of the world's most creative women by the drum. Well, that's super cool. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. So excited to chat with you. I've had a couple people now from the lovely company Headspace on the show, and it's always very fun. And, you know, I feel like you and I could have chatted for a hell of a lot longer in our intro call. So here we are, <laughs> ready to jam. Um, I'd love to kick things off. Before we get into uh, your work and everything you're up to at Headspace and in that journey, I'd love to just understand a little bit more about you and just ask a simple question or maybe a little bit loaded, but everyone gets this one. And it's just, who are you? What, what defines you? <laughs> um, I am a 45-year-old single mom from Croydon which for any British listeners will be so loaded and just tell them everything they need to know. Um, but for those not familiar with Croydon, it's a suburban town just outside London and it's loaded with not very positive connotations. Um, okay. I come from a very small family, just four of us. Um, and now after 20 years in advertising, I moved with my young son to California a couple of years ago. So now I live the California dream, or it was before COVID, <laughs> yeah. um, with my son and my enormous dog in, uh, yeah, in, well, was Venice. Now we live in Sortel. And yeah, that's me. Amazing. Amazing. I love the context of the, uh, of the city. I'm not, now I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> You're going to have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned a 20 year advertising career. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's a long time, obviously. And that's a lot of expertise and a lot of relationships. And, uh, I imagine a lot of different, uh, great experiences and probably full of, of highs and lows. Um, and I couldn't think of, you know, a polar opposite kind of situation from going from that world to startup, you know, mindfulness and meditation world. And I think it was during our, our, our intro call, you mentioned something like, you know, I, I, I quote, I was either winning at the highest levels in the world or depressed or in a full blown panic attack. So I'm curious, like, why, why the move? H how did that all originate? I, um, well, I had, worked with Rich Pearson in 2005 at BBH and Rich Pearson is the co-founder of Headspace yeah. and strangely we'd admired each other from afar at BBH and were in awe of each well I was certainly in awe of him but we'd never worked directly together on a team and only after we'd both left BBH um, he contacted me and said hey I've got some projects directly with clients should we should we do it together? And I was like, okay, that sounds great. I was, um, I was freelancing at the time and I was doing a lot of my own kind of direct to client work. So it, it was just great. So we'd sit in my flat and we'd, um, 
you know, do our best for clients. And it was just brilliant fun. So we had struck up a real friendship and a real working relationship uh, back in 2005, six, seven. Okay. And then we had continued once we'd gone on to do different things professionally, Richard remained a really important friend in my life. Um, and around the time when we were working together, he'd met Andy. So I was kind of a spectator to the birth of Headspace and kind of a, a very minor contributor in terms of my opinion on stuff or certainly hooking them up with, yeah. with great talent when I could. So in uh, cut to Easter 2018, um, I had separated from my husband and I'd got a tax rebate from the government in the UK. So I said to my son, what do you want to do? He was um, nine or eight at the time. And he was like, let's go to Disneyland. So I was like, cool, you're in charge. I'll pay. You make all the decisions. So we flew over to California and we had the most incredible Disney holiday. And while we were here, um, I managed to find 45 minutes with Rich just to have a life catch up. Hmm. Um, so we did that. Never talked about work, never mentioned Headspace, just talked about, you know, marriage, divorce, children, babies, life. Yeah. Um, and then that same day he came to the place I was staying and gave me the, the most incredible pitch as to why it was time in Headspace's journey to have a, a creative leader. And it was time in my journey to start a new chapter. So how, how did you feel when that conversation sparked up? Cause obviously you were not expecting that or, you know, dr driving for that. It's just, it, it seemed to have come so naturally, but were you taken aback? Were you like, cause those are big life decisions that, you know, not a lot of people talk about They kind of glaze, oh yeah, there, you know, that there was an offer, then we moved and, and kind of here you are, but that's a big decision, the process. Yeah. I mean, I shut it down. <laughs> I shut it down straight away. I was like, absolutely not. And that was for two <laughs> year reasons. One is I was so happy at work. Like I would, yeah. I would skip into gray London because of, you know, I was having a great time. I had such a great team, such a great partner in Vicky Maguire. Um, and it, you know, it was giving me everything I needed from work. And at the same time, you know, Buddy and I were setting up a life where he had parents living separately. And so I was really trying to make that feel very grounded and very safe and secure. And we'd found a good rhythm. You know, we were just mm -hmm. trying on our new lives for size. So I, you know, I was like, Rich, I'm content. I kind of got it working. I'm content. And Rich was just like, you're never happy with content. I've known you for like over a decade. Come That's on. That's a good friend. Yeah. Um, and he was like, think about, just think about what would have to be true for it to happen. So Oh, he definitely cracked a little, cracked me open with that. You're never happy with content thing. Yeah, um, that's a good and, friend. <laughs> yeah. So when I was on the plane flying back to London, Buddy, luckily Buddy fell asleep. So I opened my laptop and I, I basically wrote the story. I was like, this is where I've been. This is where I am now. And this is where I think I'm going. And then make a copy of the Google Doc. This is where I've been. This is where I am. And this is where I could go if I actually entertain this opportunity. So mm. once I'd written those stories... Like it wasn't really a decision. It was like it was made, you know, it, it, the offer, the opportunity was, you know, glaringly obvious. So what I did then is I had to ask Buddy's dad for permission to to bring him to California, because obviously if his dad wasn't comfortable with us being on the other side of the world, then I just wasn't going to entertain the opportunity. Sure. Um, so that was the first thing. I, I shut the laptop. So the two stories were there. 
And then I shut the laptop. We got home. I spoke to to Al, Buddy's dad, and and he slept on it. And he was like, he's like, I'm so proud of you. Um, I fully support you. And and obviously we set up pre-COVID, we set up a lot of ways that um, him and Buddy could connect and we would go back a lot and he would come here a lot. Um, so that then it was a it was a no-brainer. Um, so the the offer was kind of I think the offer was made in April. We accepted in June. I left Gray in July and we moved in August. Like we moved on the Friday and Buddy started school on the Monday. Wow. But I, <laughs> wow. I make it sound easy. It wasn't because I had basically course. my mum, my mum was like, if you're going to move to the other side of the world, I'm going to be in charge. So my mum project managed the entire thing from start to finish. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too, that, I mean, I heard this in another interview just preparing for this, but, um, it's Vicky, right. That you were yeah. co-leading that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that wasn't the easiest of, uh, conversations to have, but from what I, from what I saw, she was super loving and accepting. Yeah. But she's magical, right? So she, she knew something was happening and yeah. also gray was a chapter in our relationship. So Vic and I had met at, um, widens in 2007 2008 again we'd admired each other from afar but we hadn't worked directly together but what mm. you find in advertising particularly from my experience in london is when you find a like-minded female leader you kind of connect and you never let go because it's very rare um yeah. you know when we were when we were co-cco at gray it was only like two percent of london ccos were female right so i could i knew all of the female CCOs name of all their children. Do you know what I mean? I've got all their numbers in my phone. It's very, 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 very kind of small circle, but leaving Vicky was, um, she made it easy because she went, once I told her I was going, she was like, okay, I approve of that. Cause she could see that it was going to be beneficial to me and buddy and to our lives yeah. To, to myself. She said, anywhere else, I wouldn't have accepted it. She said, but for you to go to California and for you to work at Headspace and the opportunity that that just gives you at this stage in your life, she's like, I, I'm proud of you. And, and, um, I miss her every day, but I know that we'll be reunited. I know she's part of me forever. And we were just very lucky to have that couple of years where we were in each other's pockets, making each other laugh every day. Yeah. It's amazing. I resonate with the the whole notion of just, you know, finding or linking up with people that there's there's almost like this unspoken thing with the relationship, right? To that you'll do something together or you're you're trying to find something and um you know, it, it doesn't happen until it's kind of the cards are are placed in the right way or it's the right timing in life. And that's actually what happened with uh the the book publisher that I have for, mm -hmm. for my book. It's years and years of saying we really need to do something together mm -hmm. and you know <laughs> and, and i don't think it's the end like honestly i don't think it's the end of me and vic because we have yeah. this very extreme relationship where at any monumentous moment in our lives we would be one text or one phone call away from each other and i remember like leaving a job i remember leaving a job with no job to go to and I walked out of the building and within 30 minutes, I was sitting at our table in our restaurant, drinking our cocktail. And she just, mm. she was in a pitch when I called her, you yeah. know, and she finished up the pitch. She takes the team to the pub. She um, escapes from the pub and comes and meets me and makes sure that I'm all right. So we always, we always just had that um, connection. And I don't think that really goes away, even though 
course, I don't see her right now, but I will. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, I definitely want, I mean, you, you can't say that you opened up the laptop and journaled out these stories to the journaling guy in the podcast. That's all about reflective questions and journals without me asking a follow up on that. So I, I you know, I, I just wanted to know that, is that, have you always made big decisions like that? Like where did this idea of like slowing down and write out the stories come from, or was it just very specific to this, this situation? I never think anything through ever. I mean, I always just go with my gut. And this was the first time wow. where I stopped and I had to, and, and it's become more, I do it more in work, like just writing. I just did it last week with Headspace. Okay. Sometimes I just have to write the story down uh, with work, but I've never done it for my, really for my personal life before. So this, where I been, where I am, where I'm going thing. I don't know where it came from, but it helped. It definitely helped to just get it all out and make sense. I'm curious just for, cause I was going to get into this later, but you went there already and it's, it's just the idea of, you know, working in a, in a creative environment and your level of, of expertise in this space. I was going to ask, like, how do you, what are some of the practices or the things that you do for yourself to keep your mind clear so you can tap into that intuition and knowing, you know, what's, what the next steps are, but also see, right. Like, you know, just putting it on paper and whatnot. I mean, that's a big thing. It's been a theme on the show. And the reason why I try to interview so many different types of people in different industries, because everyone's got their own little thing to, to find that clarity. So that's not just jam. You were not jammed with mental fog all the time. Mm. I have I mean, again, I don't do it on purpose, but now you're asking me the question, I would say yeah. I have three, three, three things, three ways that I do that I've kind of honed over the years. And the first one started early on um, when I was working with Kim Gehrig in a, in a creative team at Mother London. Conversation has always been my only tool. Hmm. Like, honestly, I'm not a, I'm not a designer. I'm not a writer. I've had, I've got no kind of specific craft discipline, but where I have always found the most um, creativity and curiosity and advice and help is just ongoing conversations with people, you know, and me and Kim, the reason I think that we were so successful for that period of time is because we were so different and we would have to talk stuff out. We'd have okay. to talk stuff out, have to talk stuff out until we hit on something where we were both like, yep, because it was so rare that we felt the same about something that when we had a, when so, an idea was really, really good, it would be a miracle because we both go that one, you know? So my first yeah. thing is, and always will be conversation and, and, and people I work with, some people love a deck and some people love a really, really long email. I'm always the first to go, let's chat. Let's just, and if I was in the office, which I'm not, I just walk around talking all the time to get the job sure. done. Um, so now I'll often just hop in a Zoom and invite someone in out of the blue and they'll be like, oh, it's never happened to me before. But yeah, um, I love that. So, so conversation is my first thing. My second thing is I'm, I'm um, you know, definitely people I work closely with know that I love a post-it note party. Like I love just getting everyone in a room, giving everyone Sharpies and post-it notes and getting it all out there and like visualizing a wall and whether that's like an end-to-end -end journey or short 
medium long-term ideas or free cheap expensive ideas or old ideas or new ideas like I just love getting stuff out like vomiting out everything that you possibly can and then my third thing and this has you know driven many people crazy is I like to keep things open for as long as humanly possible like I don't like to yeah so if you think about you know back to advertising or here when we're thinking about where we're going with headspace Um, I don't like to close down the thinking until we are sure that we've done due diligence on exploring where we could go. So on pitches and things like things like that, I would often encourage the team to even when we thought we had a great idea, park everything and go again, just just so that we felt like we'd explored everything or when we got our strategy or when we got our kind of area of thinking you know, the, the account team would be really keen to like lock it down and start executing. Whereas I'd be like, no, I want us to swim around in this area and just try it on for size and, and have that kind of expansive thinking approach. Because if you jump to execution too quickly, I don't think you ever really um, explore enough of the possibility. It's so true. And it's, I, I mean, I think by default, society and the way we work, it, it's it's how fast and how much can you, you know, put out there and produce that a lot of this, you know, creating time and space to yeah. actually think, right? F- first of yeah. all, think to even start off the process, but then to your point, you know, slowing down the teams as well, right? And everyone mm. around you. I love Which that. is like the enemy of the any enemy of the startup process. But oh, yeah. you know, I can <laughs> I can get to solutions in ten seconds, ten minutes, ten hours, ten days. Like I, I I know how to think and I know how to create direct and I know how to edit. But I think that's a real it's a, like a privilege and a pleasure to give the teams just a bit of space to to try on for size and explore, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's where the, I mean, we've heard this uh, a thousand times, right? Like, you know, the best ideas come up in the shower or if you're going for a run or if you're walking. And, and I mean, it's no surprise when you start thinking about that because your mind's not, you know, being flooded by Mm. all these things and, 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 you know, you're forcing to try to find the the solution and whatnot. Well, and that's like, that's why conversation is such a lovely tool because then you can you can swim around together in it and take it in different directions and come back and explore more and ask questions and you know it's just it's just such a a privilege to be able to do that with your imagination with someone else it's amazing well and the and the post-it um concept i mean that's interesting that you do that for work but because essentially you did that on the plane on your laptop (laughs) slightly different format same thing I love it. What would you what would you bring back to your your past world in the advertising agency having been in in this new role for the last couple of years? I think a more kind approach to to work life balance or just generally to life like I think there's a you know, I've got this theory about living in California where you have a life before work, a life at work and a life after work. If mm-hmm. I think about my, my life in London, it would be like, get up, get ready, like get really, really smartly dressed and blow dry and high heels and the makeup and the, and the pick up the coffee on the way and whiz in and back to back. And it's all very jazzy and fast paced. And then finally it's done and go to the pub and get drunk. And, you know, it was just very like one gear. Um, and yeah. certainly for my twenties and most of my thirties, 
you know, my, my job was my life. And I had, I had the most incredible job with the most incredible people. Um, yeah, but there was no space for real life and care. And, you know, I dated people I worked with, I married someone I worked with, I had a child with someone I worked, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like it was all, it was all in that, um, in that universe of the advertising industry or the agency or the local pub where I, whatever. Whereas here, you know, you can have, you can have a really lovely morning in the sunshine. You can then go and do an incredibly efficient, productive, creative working day. And then at five o'clock, you go and have a whole other life. Like I have... I mean, I'm, I'm an old lady now, so I go to bed at like nine o'clock or whatever, but it's, Far not from an old like, lady. <laughs> but it's not like work with the same people every day and roll in the pub with the same people every day. It's different. Yeah. It's like, great. Thank you for another great working day. We've done our very best. Now I'm going to get in my car, get my son, go to the beach, go for a walk, take the dog out. Like there's a whole other world after work that, that I never had before when I was in working at that level in, in advertising in London. What has that, what has that opened up for you inside? I think it's just an appreciation for peace and quiet and nature and the ocean and stillness and, you know, just this whole outsideness that was just not that huge a part of my life in London. Like, don't get me wrong. When I could get it, I would always get it. Like I'd always go to Hampstead Heath or whatever, go for a lovely walk in the country and end up in a pub. But, um, here it's, it's just the balance is different. And the, um, yeah, the, the immediacy of that social side of things that I had is very different here. Like I have really incredible friends at Headspace and in LA but there just seems to be much more time and space for other. Mm-hmm. Well, and stillness, I mean, you mentioned stillness. I feel like stillness is, is this underrated superpower that there's still very few people that have tapped into that. And once you, once you do, you know, and, and can accept the slowing down and all of that, yeah. that then it's just like exponential I feel like exponential clarity, opportunity, like things just start happening. It's the great, I think it's the greatest gift, honestly. And people that know me would just find this hilarious because I, for my whole life, I hated quiet. I hated being on my own. I never spent time on my own. I never did nothing. I never stopped and I had fun and I achieved lots and it was all fine. But the greatest pleasure in my life right now is sitting on the beach and watching the ocean sitting on my roof and looking at the sky, sitting on my sofa and like just just really enjoying that nothingness. And I think, you know, obviously COVID has um, fast-tracked me to that place maybe. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll have to make sure to send this to some of your friends once it publishes and be like, what is happening to you out in LA? <laughs> uh, and is there anything that you would bring back from... Well, I mean, I'm sure you're doing this, but I mean, just in, in off the top of your mind, like in the headspace world, or just let's just say startup world in in general, which just it's weird to call headspace a startup at this point. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's not a startup now anymore. Um, but is there anything from the the advertising world that was like a clear, oh, like uh, how are you guys not doing this or 
Like, what are we missing there? Because it's a, it's a special space. I mean, I worked with a ton of agencies back in my corporate world. My wife used to work for one as well. And, you know, everyone chalks up to busy and like everything we just described, but it's, it's a really magical place. That energy is. is Well, that's my thing, you know, that's the thing. And I, and I actually talked to Rich about this early on is the adrenaline of working in an agency when you're running a pitch or you've just won a pitch or you've just hired someone or you've just got promoted or you, you know, just sold your work. Like there's so many opportunities for adrenaline and, and like a celebration and the whole team to feel that sense of achievement. But with that comes the lows and the burnout and the all night working and the hangovers and the jet lag. And so I think that that was a real early realization I had was um, I don't get the highs and lows that I used to get in advertising. What I get is this really steady, calm, peaceful achievement joy (laughs) from working (laughs) at Headspace. So you know, it's just a different pace and a different, um, culturally, it's just incredibly different. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't have gone from, from more extreme cultures, (laughs) although, you know, there's some stuff that remains very true, you know, like an appreciation for the people and the creativity and trying to do, um, do good in the world with a lot of the clients that I ran, um, at Gray, certainly. Um, but yeah, it's just, I had to really have a little chat with myself about the, 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 the culture change. Of course. I wanted to ask you about just meditation, obviously. Mm. Um, I know you, you haven't been in the office. Um, I I've been to the, to the Headspace offices a couple of times. Oh, so I good. know, I know that beautiful kind of foyer and, uh, mm. where the daily meditations happening, happen. Mm. I remember the first time I was there, I was, it was the first time I'd ever seen Andy and I was sitting right behind him on one of those like elevated stairs or whatnot. Yeah. And the farthest thing from meditating, because here I am hearing the hearing the guy's voice that's always in my ear from the app, right? So I'm just sitting there, this in awe about to rub his head or something, you know. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I just wanted to know how how has how has meditation, you know, showed up in, in your life, and, and what have you noticed um, just in your your day to day world, having a mm. consistent practice. Yeah, my, my relationship with meditation started when Rich met Andy and we did the first Headspace, or they did the first Headspace event at BAFTA in London. And I was lucky enough to attend that. And like back then, they were just trying Headspace on for size. So Andy teaching meditation in an eight-hour day to 200 people was incredible to witness, but not scalable, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, now, like 60, 70 million people have downloaded the app. That would have taken a lot of one-man events to reach that <laughs> many people. But in that day, I was lucky to, to be like, you know, completely submerged in the practice. And I think over that eight-hour day, we probably did five, five moments of meditation Um, And then from then on, I used Headspace for a number of years. I then did a training course so that I could meditate twice daily unguided as well, so I could build out my own practice. But Mm. really joining Headspace um, and and being part of this 10 a.m. meditation that we do at HQ, and now we do it again, like still together, still 10 a.m. on Zoom, um, that group 
practice, that daily routine has um, really built out my meditation muscle. So I can now really feel the benefit of meditation in my daily my daily appreciation of calm, my mm. focus, but also I would say me personally, like the way that I react and respond to difficult situations has is unrecognizable. Like I'm honestly, and, and I talk to people at work about this, I, I can really notice when, when I'm under pressure or a difficult situation arises and I can just deal with it so much better, like really calmly with a really positive perspective um, so my react, the way that I react to things, the way that I communicate about things, I can just have, I can take a step back and have a word with myself in a way that I never had, had the skills to do before. Yeah. You're, you're, you're gifted that micro pause, you know, <laughs> exactly. That I wish, cause I, I, I originally got that from journaling and, and I get it as well from meditation, but it's just that's that is that that little taste of of what that feels like is is something I wish for anyone that hasn't jumped into these practices yet. I wish they could just mm-hmm. kind of transplant that over to see okay, it's worth the shot. It's right? worth it's, it, and you you know you have like immediate benefits and then long term benefits with daily practice. So even yeah. like you know in real life when I go into the office, so I I get up, do the dog, do the kid do the house do myself take take buddy to school drop the dog at doggy daycare by the time i get to headspace it's usually like nine o'clock nine thirty. i say hi to everyone and then we do this practice at 10 and i am in the zone you know that it's like such a gift to like control or delete me at that point do you know what i mean and just yeah, like yeah. get me ready for the day and i open my eyes and i'm i'm a hundred percent in focused relaxed grounded you know, I couldn't have a better preparation for a day of work when I've had such a crazy morning. So that's the immediate effect, you know, and then the long-term effect, as I say, is this, I have a change in my, um, in my responses and my reactions to sometimes what I could have seen as impossible situations before. Mm -hmm. And what's, I mean, Headspace is, is starting to become known, I think, or is definitely leading the way in this, in this space for, doing, you know, legit clinical trial work. Mm. And, you know, given my past background, I was, I was really interested in learning more about that. And I know it takes forever to, unless you're, unless you're running trials for vaccine, apparently it takes forever (laughs) to get these trials approved. Um, So, you know, it's a bit of a patience game, but I think it's just going to unlock so much, so much for, uh, people to, you know, anyone that was just kind of sitting on the fence or, or need that extra validation and not to mention, hopefully integrate into our healthcare system. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, you know, we're very fortunate. Our chief science and strategy officer, Dr. Megan's Jones, Megan Jones-Bell has been with us for a few years. So we've had a real head start on building out all of these clinical trials and, 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 you know, publishing scientific papers um, that, validate headspace it's not about general mindfulness and meditation practice it's headspace specific and i think that's why it's so powerful because we can be super specific about what it is about our product that makes that makes it you know have this credible expertise this um you know authentic help that in one session can do this in 10 sessions can do this we've got um I'll, i'll share with you actually mark we've got a science deck that's um 
you know, publicly available. It's just like astonishing. And we, you know, we hear, and most recently it's fascinating because we, we speak to our members a lot and, um, and, you know, we've spent a lot of time communicating the benefits of meditation, but there are barriers to meditation that also need addressing. So people don't think they've got the time or they don't believe that it works. And we can really reassure them that this is the most science-backed meditation up in the world. And we can prove that it works. And not only through our members, but also through kind of massive studies with organizations like um, Adobe and Google, the NHS, the Metropolitan Police, like the studies are incredible once you, once you delve in. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait to dive into that and, mm-hmm. and also just see where, where things go and how that, you know, how that really opens up a whole yeah. other set of people. Cause there's, I mean, it's, there's a lot of people that have been unlocked to meditation, which is, which is really nice, but you and I are in the space now. So it seems like m- many people are unlocked when in fact, there's so much more uh, work to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. In, in, so much more work. Way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we're speaking kind of mid no, uh, mid December. I'm curious whether from a personal standpoint or, or business standpoint, you know, as the year's coming to a close and we're getting ready for a new year, What's like, what are some of the practices or some of the rituals that you go through to like really start to creatively think about the, the, the years to come or your life and all of that? Is there anything that you can share? I mean, I think the biggest, well, the biggest realization I've had is this stillness and this peace that I've really started to appreciate. You know, my, my world before COVID was infinite i do anything go anywhere fly anyone there see anyone anyone Mm -hmm. would come and see me like i could whatever i wanted to do or the person i wanted to be with i could um and now my world is this home my son and my dog and um and and it's really really closed my world down and made me much more kind of nesty as in like pottering around my house and and really caring for our home a bit more um, but the, the thing that has crossed over between work and life is this, the power of taking a break um, has never felt so um, tangible and, and visceral and, and crucial to my survival. Um, and I think that's a lot to do with being on Zoom, like being on stage basically for yeah. um, eight hours a day performing for eight hours a day. You know, you're on camera, you need to listen, look, type, speak, think all these things um with no break you know come out of one zoom go in the other zoom people um that that connection with my team and the broader team at headspace is so crucial and me just like swanning around the office it was so effortless before i could have so much connection so easily whereas now it really is like on this stage all the time so taking those breaks switching off the screen staring at the sky walking my dog around the block going to make a cup of tea like separating myself from the screens has been has had to be a real like a physical um lesson that i've had to teach myself and my assistant's incredible at, at, at helping me do that but um, early on, I wasn't doing that. And I really felt the pain from yeah. not taking those breaks. And we have this 10 a.m. meditation. We have the 3 p.m. meditation. But as I said to you, I just took my dog around the block before this call because I wanted to um, 
you know, disconnect from the morning's work and really connect with you. And it's, and it's, it's harder to do when you're just in the same house all the time. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because, well, first of all, it shows that you're human, like the, like the rest of us. And, you know, it, and it, I always wonder, you know, people that are listening on the other side that, you know, people that work at organizations like Headspace, it's so, some people think like you just have everything just dialed in, right? It's like you're walking around fully mindful and stress-free <laughs> all the time type thing, which obviously, you know, is not the case, but to just show, you know, a human side that, okay, I, you know, you're also learning and the, the, especially right now we're all stuck, you know, everyone around the world is essentially experiencing some version of this like screen or zoom fatigue in, in some mm. way. Right. And just mm. to take some, uh, ownership to first give yourself the permission to say that that's okay to go take a walk and, mm. and br- break it up. Right. Yeah. Also, I think the other, the other realization or, yeah, the realization I had is before COVID at home, I was mom and at work, I was C, they call me CP at work. Right. But I was like professional Caroline at work. And, um, and, and that was a very physical transformation. Right. So at home buddy is in buddy is my number one priority. Um, do all that, get him where he needs to be, make sure he's happy and safe. And then as I park my car up at Headspace and walk in the door, it's like Headspace is my priority and yeah. doing, being my best for my team. But then what the fuck do I do when the, when those two yeah. worlds collide and I'm homeschooling Buddy at the same time as trying to lead my team at Headspace and do the right thing for Headspace and my dog and me in the home and all the cleaners here. And and it's just all very, very like unnerving, a little bit like an earthquake is going on all the time because I'm compromised. And, you know, that I I remember reading years ago, like the working mother's um, kind of continued pressure is when you're at work, you feel you need to be with your kids. And when you're with your kids, you feel like you need to be at work. And Mm. that has just come into like such extreme focus now. And, you know, I'm very lucky. Buddy's brilliant. Everyone at Headspace loves Buddy. They all know him. So I'm, I'm really lucky that if he wants to do a TikTok dance behind my Zooms call, which (laughs) is every day, um, but you know, Headspace has never made me feel anything but proud of Buddy. It's more about my, like the, the term Headspace, like the literal Headspace, like mum mode versus work mode is now it's just the same mode and that's very hard to um to be successful in I think a lot of the time for sure for sure and I think I mean I I've struggled with that as well I think a lot of people do um I'll I'll leave a a journaling practice if you're if you're open to it because I find Mm. this has been super helpful and it used I picked this up again this was probably three or four years ago when I first started the show, uh, actually it was a guy in Montreal running an advertising agency, ironically, <laughs> <laughs> but he used to have this, this, uh, practice of again, pulling up to his house and before, right before he put his key in the lock would kind of take a, a deep breath in and then a deep breath out and let that out. And just like physically, you know, I've left now the work day and I'm entering in, I'm going to be a dad and, and, you know, be fully present for my family. And that it's always stuck to me because then when all of this stuff happened, like, well, then how can we do that? Um, cause I mean, I'm working from home as well, um, in, in this present day and, and I've kind of morphed the practice to just asking two questions and writing these, these answers down and, and could be like really short bullets, but what did I learn today? And what was amazing today? 
And, and just, first of all, it's a bit of a reflection, obviously, on the day. And, you, you know, because we, we go through the day so fast often that we forget half of the stuff that happens. And you're, normally there's a lot of great stuff that happens. But mm. the other thing I find is just now it's, it's kind of bookended the day. And then you can kind of enter into the next uh, phase of the day with, you know, hopefully just as much energy that you, you know, you did after the 10 a.m. meditation, for example. What's the, what are the two questions? Just, you know, what did I learn today? Yeah. And what was amazing about the day? Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to ask Buddy that as well. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> we started asking our son that. He's he's four, so he's he doesn't really, uh, he just says the same thing over and over again. Or, or <laughs> sleep time at school or something. But we just asked, you know, what was the best part of the day and trying to instill that uh, gratitude piece in, into our days. But I found yeah. it's it's really helped um, versus kind of just like, oh, I just finished or I rushed out of the last meeting and I'm kind of like running down the stairs or running to the next room type thing. Mm. Speaking of prompts, uh, last question for you. I, I definitely want to get any type of reflective questions that either you ask during, you know, big decisions or you find that are circulating in your life day to day uh, that I can leave with the audience for our own whether you're journaling pen to paper or just taking a walk and thinking, uh, I'm a really firm believer that, you know, one really good question has the power to completely change our path in mm. life. Well, I've got kind of a general one and then, and very specific yeah. ones. So my general one is often I, I just list in my mind the things I'm grateful for. And that generally changes the entire course of my thought process anyway. Yeah. Cause you know, sometimes we all get, in a spiral and feeling a bit dark and depressed and lonely and bored and miserable and scared and all the things that COVID exacerbates. But I find often just a little thought about how privileged and lucky I am and all of the things I'm grateful for just helps change gear for me sometimes. Mm. And then the more specific one and something that, um, that Al and I committed to when we separated was uh, always putting what's best for Buddy first. Um, yeah. so really seeing decisions or situations, uh, from Buddy's perspective and how it best serves him helps me, uh, get clarity sometimes. I love that. Powerful stuff. I, um, I appreciate your time, Caroline. It's, uh, it's a real honor to have you on the show. And again, I just feel like there's a, there's a big theme of, of just, you know, accepting kind of where you're at and flowing with all these different opportunities you've had over the course of your life. And, you know, where you're at today right now seems to be uh, a well-timed and a beautiful place to be. And it seems like you, you really do. It seems like you live in the present, which, which is a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. And I thoroughly enjoy talking to you. I mean, literally I could talk to you for the rest of the week. No problem. So thank you oh, for having amazing. me. <laughs> amazing. All right. Well, you have yourself the best day yet. Thank you very much, Mark.